this week on Myths and Legends. It's a Christmas story from 11th century Iceland where, yeah, your holidays might be tense, but they probably don't include giant zombies. So maybe that's a win. On the Creature of the Week, there are multiple Christmas creatures, and you'll see why you'll want to add a bucket of fish heads to your holiday shopping list. This is Myths and Legends, episode 94, A Very Viking Christmas. This is a podcast where I tell stories from mythology and folklore. Some are incredibly popular stories you think you know, but with surprising origins. Others are stories you might not have heard, but really should. This week's episode is brought to you by Spotify. Whether you're into podcasts about ghastly crimes or hip-hop rhymes, there's always something new to discover on Spotify. With a mix of originals and many of the world's most popular shows, listening to podcasts on Spotify is easy. Just open the app, tap browse, and dive into their growing library. Subscribe to your favorites, including our entire archive, so you'll never miss a show. You can also download podcasts for those moments when you're up in the air or going underground. Podcasts on Spotify are streaming now, so go check them out. Today's story is about a Christmas in the Middle Ages, and it comes from Grettir's Saga, one of the sagas of the Icelanders. You might be wondering about the title, and no, it's not really a Viking Christmas. This is set in 11th century Scandinavia, so portions of the region had converted to Christianity as long as 100 years before today's story starts. Even though it's well past the Viking Age, there were still people raiding here and there, though the protagonist of today's story very much did not like them. Anyway, all that aside, we'll start a story on Christmas Eve with a legendary Norse warrior nestled into bed. It was the night before Christmas, and all through the house, not a creature was stirring, well, except that the entire house itself was stirring. The bed Grettir slept on, and everything else in the hall at Thor Halstadir shuddered as something lurched across the roof high above him. Grettir, the legendary Norse warrior poet, knew exactly who was on the roof. He pulled out his sword, pulled his blanket up over his head, and pretended to sleep. He might not come if Grettir was awake. The lurching and pounding grew stronger. He was on the roof above Grettir now. Then, Grettir heard a crash. The roof exploded inward as a bulk plummeted to the floor. It crashed beside Grettir, grabbed the blanket, and Grettir was face to rotting face with a giant Draugr, one of the walking dead from Norse myth. Two years earlier, Thorhall and his son were looking for shepherds for their farm. They'd been looking for shepherds for a long time, actually, and had found quite a few. Those few also seemed to find that the farm at Thorhallstadir was haunted. So they ran away screaming. Thorhall and his son were at the booth of the lawgiver, Scotty, to see if he might know of someone, anyone, who might be able to work their farm. Scotty told them there was a slave he was looking to get rid of. But he was the type that, how could Scotty put this delicately, was a massive jerk that everyone hated to be around. Thorhall said that he didn't even care. He had this farm, the farm was haunted, and he needed people to work his farm. Those were the facts of the situation. He didn't care what this guy was like. If he would show up and work a day surrounded by whatever had driven dozens of other men away screaming, then that was good enough for Thorhall. Scotty told them where they could meet the slave. His name was Glam. He was out collecting firewood. Was collecting firewood what he was supposed to be doing at this time? No. That was actually part of the problem. Thorhall walked back to the stables, but saw someone had moved he and his son's horses. 
the other farmers were always doing that sort of thing. Thorhall told himself that it was just a fun prank that best friends played on one another. But Thorhall was the only one they ever pranked. Glam was finishing up his not-at-all work when he saw Thorhall huffing and puffing up the hill. Thorhall, in between very liberal breaths, told Glam that he worked for Thorhall's farm now, as a shepherd. Is that the sort of work Glam would like? I picture Thorhall like a Michael Scott-type character, desperately wanting to be friends with people who, by virtue of his position, are never going to be friends with him. In the saga, Glam looked down at Thorhall and, I'm going to quote from the saga directly when he said, I'll be most useful to you if I'm left to do as I please, because I have a bad temper when I don't like to do something. I, personally, would love to be able to say that on my first day of work, but I, unfortunately, am not an ill-tempered wall of muscle in Viking times. Thorhall put his foot down and said he wouldn't allow that sort of talk, and then, promptly allowing that sort of talk, told Glam to come with him. Thorhall had talked to Glam's master, and Glam worked for him now. Glam asked again about the work, and Thorhall told him. Glam replied that, that sounds a little boring. Thorhall shot back that, oh yeah? Well, the farm is haunted, Glam shrugged. Yeah, okay, that makes it a little more interesting. He followed Thorhall and his son back into town, and then laughed at them as they looked for their horses for the next few hours. Thorhall looked down on the farm after the first snowfall. He didn't want to toot his own horn, but he was absolutely going to toot his own horn. He had found the perfect person for the job. Sure, Glam was scary, and you can never really tell him what to do without him staring you down with those intense, want to know what it feels like to die stares. But the work got done, eventually, on Glam's time. After the past few years they'd had, it was nice to have at least some of the work done. This continued until December 24th, Christmas Eve. Glam woke up and walked to the main house to see that breakfast was not ready. He waited, but still no food. He got up and pushed his way to Thorhall's room where he saw Thorhall's wife. He said that the servants didn't make breakfast. She smiled and shook her head. (laughs) Yeah, no, it was Christmas Eve. Didn't he know? They fasted on Christmas Eve. Glam said that, well, he wasn't a Christian and he didn't fast on Christmas Eve. Thorhall's wife looked him up and down with all the subtlety of church lady and said, oh, Is that why they never saw him at church? He said yes. He didn't care about their superstition. If he was going to work, he was going to eat. Thorhall's wife said that the servants had the day off. Glam shrugged. Fine. She could make him food. She left at the prospect of making food for a slave, but Glam moved closer to Thorhall's wife, and she actually had to crane her neck upward to look at him in the eye. She said she would make him something right away, but he would suffer if he went ahead with this. He went ahead with it. After a very forced and awkward breakfast, Glam left in a huff. He drove the sheep out through the falling snow as the skies began to darken. It was late that night when, after mass, Thorhall noticed that Glam never came back home. It had been snowing and storming all day, and the last anyone had seen of him was after Mrs. Thorhall cooked for him. Thorhall began to wrap himself in furs. He said it wasn't safe out there. He had to go looking for Glam. Who was with me? But no one was with him. One... It was a cold, dark Scandinavian winter, and two, no one really liked Glam. Well, to be more accurate, everyone hated him. He was big, obnoxious, and scary. You know what? He's probably fine. Sure, there's no other structures for miles around here, and you could literally snap off a toe in only a few minutes out there, but he's a big, tough guy. He's probably fine. Thank you.
Oof. Okay. I guess he wasn't fine, they said the next day, when they found the black, frozen, bloated corpse of Glam, half buried in a snowdrift on Christmas Day. They spent the rest of the morning rounding up the sheep that were still alive after the blizzard, and trying to get Glam's corpse to the church. But Glam was a big guy already, and his body had strangely swollen to about twice the normal size. They were only able to drag him about 20 feet, before leaving his body on the edge of a chasm. On the second day of Christmas, in probably the worst version of that song, they brought oxen and horses to drag the giant frostbitten corpse, but they couldn't budge Glam's body on the flat ground. On the third day of Christmas, they solved their problem. Why bring the 500-pound frozen corpse to a priest when the priest could just come out to Glam, and they could just bury slash leave Glam out there and get on with their Christmas? Thorhall and the priest rounded the corner to the spot by the chasm, but there was no Glam. The rock didn't have snow on it where the corpse had been laying, but other than that, the scene was completely undisturbed. Thorhall looked down the chasm, but nope, no 500-pound frostbitten corpse of a guy with anger issues down there. Thorhall shrugged. Well, looks like the problem took care of itself. The next day, they learned that the problem, in fact, did not take care of itself when a field hand flew from the forest after being hit with a club as big as he was. As the others rushed to drag him to safety, they felt the earth shake and saw the trees crack as the monster that hit him emerged from the forest. It was Glam. Well, zombie Glam. In Scandinavian legends, there are these things called draugers. If you've ever played the game Skyrim, that's a pretty good representation of them. And they're pretty terribly unpleasant to look at and be around at all. They're basically the walking dead. Walking, rotting corpses are reanimated. They're super dense, I guess, because they're very heavy, and in some places they can change their size at will and rise from their graves as wisps of smoke. They're not especially intelligent, but they're not mindless monsters either. They just have a slightly worse level of intelligence than the person had when they died. Thorstein's father-in-law, a few episodes back, came back as a Draugr, and Draugr come back to guard their treasure, which isn't applicable in the case of Glam, or torment those that have wronged them in life which is absolutely applicable in the case of Glam. So yes, Glam, the guy who was already obnoxious, mean, and a little dangerous in life, was now a murderous zombie giant with super strength. It was a rough winter and spring. Thorhall's farm, which already had an employee retention problem, fell desolate. Soon, only Thorhall, his wife, their son, and some extremely loyal workers remained, and they would look out each night to the bloated, giant corpse of Glam, standing on the roof of their barn, shouting curses at them. Something strange happened, though. Well, stranger. As the weather got warmer, Glam appeared less and less, until, at the beginning of summer, Thorhall and his wife realized that they had been able to sleep through the night. Glam didn't even appear. The very next morning, Thorhall and his son rushed to town. It was later than they would have liked, but they were back. They were going to plant something this season. Little did they know, a man was arriving by boat with the look of a hero about him. His name was Thorgot, and he had the strength of two men. I guess the saga writers didn't really want to oversell it. Thorhall saw this heroic-looking guy step off the boat and knew that this was their shepherd. Even if Glam came back, this hero could take him. Thorhall loved with the line that he had worked for the man, but it wasn't for weaklings. Now, 
I'm no epic Norse warrior, or even someone with the strength of two men. I'm like three quarters of one man myself. But this was a line guaranteed to hook Thorgot. He said he wasn't a weakling. What sort of work did Thorhall have? Thorhall said that he didn't want to be deceptive, and then immediately proceeded to be deceptive. There were just some ghouls haunting up his farm. Thorgot shrugged. He wasn't afraid of a couple little ghouls, and he'd be happy to work for such a renowned man as Thorhall. And they loved him. Thorgot was like another member of the family. He got along well with everyone, was generally nice and pleasant to be around, and didn't threaten people into breaking their religious beliefs. That's why it was such a shock when they found him on Christmas morning with his neck broken and every bone in his body crushed. Glam had returned and torn this modest hero to pieces. Thorgot had laughed in the face of danger the night before, when he wanted to take the sheep and rams grazing. Mrs. Thorhall said that that was exactly what happened last year, and to please not do that, and Thorgot said that something worth writing about would have to happen to him for him not to return. And, well, they wrote about it, so yeah, he was right about that. Anyway... Again, everyone fled the valley except Thorhall, his family, and some super loyal servants. It looked like things were going to go like the previous year, until they found the longest serving member of their household outside the barn, and also inside the barn, and also in the field, and on the barn's roof. They fled the valley later that day. With Thorhall gone, Glam had free reign, and laid waste to not just his farm, but all the others in the valley as well. No one could enter the valley where Thorhall once lived because people or animals would be killed on the spot. The area was a wasteland, and news of Thorhall's shame spread far and wide. Far enough that it reached the ears of Grettir. Grettir was a man who was already on a second exile from murdering someone, but I shouldn't give the impression that he was a bad guy, just not a super smart guy. In medieval Scandinavia, there were times when you could kill people, and times when you couldn't kill people. If you killed someone and tried to hide it, you had a problem. If you killed someone and declared that, yes, I did that, but it was a fair fight, then you had to submit yourself to that person's family. If they decided that they just wanted money for that person's death, then you paid the wear guild, or man price, as it was called, and you were free to go. If they decided that, no, they wouldn't take that, and tried to kill you themselves, ending up in you killing them too, well, then you were in Grettir's situation. In addition to being an outlaw, he also prized himself on being a warrior poet. But poet really stretches the definition of the word because he really just ends up spitting out some obscene limericks at friends and enemies, which never really helped him with the murder thing. He grew up on the northern coast of Iceland, and his parents gave him reasonable chores, though he kind of responded to them in a way that even a psychopath would think was a bit much. He was asked to watch after the goose and goslings, to make sure they didn't run away. Well, Grettir had a short fuse, and couldn't stand it that the baby geese wouldn't stand in one spot all day. He fixed this problem, by making sure they stayed in the same spot. Because they won't move if they're dead. He broke the goose's wing, too, for good measure. His father gave him another job. A cold and manly job, as he called it. In the winter, the father had a horse named Kangala that refused to graze if and only if a snowstorm was coming. If she went out, the other horses followed, and they would stay out as long as Kangala was out. Kangala meant black stripe because the horse had a black stripe down her back. Grettir wanted a cold and manly job, and he got a cold and manly job. In fact, it was a little too cold, and he wasn't quite as manly as he thought. The horse would stay out all day and into the night, until one day. Grettir's father looked out on the barn. It looked clear, but the horses were all inside. He shrugged. He figured he should prepare for snow. Kingala was never wrong, except that that night she was. It didn't snow at all. In fact, 
she wanted to stay in all week. It was after a few days of snow that Grettir's father went out to investigate. He met Grettir, who told him that, yeah, weird. Kingal and the others refused to go out. His father looked to the back of the barn and saw Kingala there, huddled and shivering. Her black stripe seemed to be dripping. He shook his head. Was Grettir dousing her with water? He was not. It was only when the father got closer that he saw the stripe was not black, but red. After the first week, Grettir had flayed the horse's back, so it was extremely sensitive to the cold. She wouldn't go out into the cold at all. The father stormed into the main hall, but the mother stopped him. She asked why he kept giving Grettir jobs, if Grettir just kept completing them the same way. Okay, so I'm far from a parenting expert, but this is not great parenting. Your solution to the problem of your child doing his chores by killing and mutilating animals is not to say, all shucks, better just stop giving the kid chores. That being said, I've gotten some flack for being too judgmental in some of these cultures in my little jokes, and the saga writers call these childhood pranks. So, there's some context. At the same time, if your child is killing and mutilating animals and you aren't listening to this in 11th century Iceland, please get your child some help. Anyway, that little sociopath grew up. And up. And up. He towered over all the other men, had an extremely short temper, and no problem with killing. And he's the hero of the story. Really though, he did gain some renown for some good things. He was shipwrecked on an island and took a job with the local farmer eventually saving all the women in the house from a ship full of Vikings by brutally killing all the Vikings. He tricked the Vikings into thinking he was on their side before getting them drunk and naked. When they expected the women of the house to be shepherded into their rooms, they were very upset to find a heavily armed Grettir storming in and killing them one by one. This was the guy that found Thorhall sitting at a tavern and down on his luck. Grettir asked Thorhall if he was hiring. It was really hard for Thorhall not to disclose exactly what was going on. The whole valley had been forced out. People hardly talked about anything else. As such, many heroes had come from far and wide to face Glam, and many heroes died. Thorhall didn't hold out any hope for Grettir, despite the man's reputation. He showed Grettir that afternoon to the ruined remains of his farm, and told Grettir that he was welcome to sleep there if he wanted. They'd send someone in the morning to collect Grettir's remains. Grettir looked at the house and rested his hand on his sword only a few hours until nightfall. Time to get ready. It just so happened that Grettir arrived on Christmas Eve. The anniversary of the night that Glam died was also the night that the Draugr was the most powerful. Grettir had nestled down in one of Thorhall's beds, wrapped in a blanket, while visions of Draugr danced in his head. He felt a thud, and his eyes snapped open. He heard a crash, the pained whinny of his horse, and then silence. Grettir didn't have time to think about it, because that's when he felt the house shudder, and that's where we came in today. Glam crashed through the roof, and grabbed the bed in one hand, and wrenched the blanket from the bed, but was surprised that it didn't come off. Someone was actually able to resist him. He looked down, and saw Grettir spring from the bed, and tackle him. Grettir severely misjudged how strong a 500-pound wall of undead rotting flesh could be. After the initial surprise, Glam wrapped him up and began dragging him outside. The smell was unbearable, and Grettir strained toward his sword. His fingertips were on it, but the Draugr's grip was like a vice. Grettir flexed and pushed, but he couldn't break free. Then, he had an idea. He watched as Thorhall's house flew past him, waited for the right moment, 
and then he kicked. Glenn was expecting Grettir to flail out, but he wasn't thinking Grettir would go toward him. Grettir kicked off with such force and straightened at Glam's chest that the Draugr lost his footing and sprawled backward through the door and doorframe and most of the wall. The pair tumbled down the hill in the snow. They slammed into a tree and Grettir rolled from Glam's grasp. He immediately found his feet and had his sword in hand. He leapt atop Glam's chest and pointed his sword down at his neck. The monster opened his eyes and looked into Grettir's and Grettir froze. So, in addition to super strength, the ability to go through walls and grow to any size, apparently Draugr can curse people for the rest of their lives. And it's like, these creatures are given a wide, wide latitude for damage that they can do with just words. For example, Glam, who, with a sword to his undead neck, knew that he was beaten. He told Grettir that Grettir was a strong man, perhaps the strongest man in the north. Well, he was now only half as strong as he was going to be. His strength was going to rival Thor and the gods of old. Now, he would have to settle for merely being among the strongest humans in existence. Worse yet, all of Grettir's deeds would bring misfortune to him. He would gain fame and renown, sure, but he would also be alone. Outlawry would follow him for the rest of his days, and he would have to live alone and in the wild. And, best of all, he will remember this moment, when he's lying in his cold forest hovel, when sleep evades him, he will see Glam's cold, dead eyes staring back at him. He was cursed to be alone, but every time he was, he would see Glam's face. Grettir feigned shock. Oh, wow. The undead monster was cursing him? The hero with his last words? Glam grimaced. He was a draugr. Cursing the hero was very much his prerogative. Grettir nodded and assured him that, oh yeah, this was all very new and scary and original. Is the curse finished? Glam said that it was. It was a good curse, though. Grettir assured the Draugr that it was. He was very scared. He drove the sword down and beheaded Glam, finally ending the man's long and horrible life. Grettir sat back and then looked at Glam's head and body. It was the first time he had ever fought a Draugr. He didn't know if the thing would come back again or what. It took pretty much all the strength he had to turn the body over onto its stomach. He grabbed the head by the hair and hefted it down, and found a nice crack he could put Glam's nose into, just in case the Draugr came back one more time. Seeing as his mean field hand was finally dead, and his farm had only been almost completely destroyed, Thorhall announced that it was a Christmas miracle. Grettir got a new horse, and a lot of money from Thorhall and the others in the valley, for finally killing the Draugr. As he rode away, a much richer and more renowned man, he blinked. And that was when he thought he saw them. Only for an instant. And then they faded. The cursed eyes of Glam. The ones that the monster said would follow him for the rest of his life. We will absolutely dive deeper into the story of Grettir. His saga is much longer, but an obscene legendary Norse warrior poet that keeps getting himself in trouble kind of perfect for this podcast. That won't be for a little while, though. Next time, we're getting back into Irish folklore after almost two years away and starting the story of Finn McCool. And not only is it one of the most compelling stories I've read so far, but the guy's name is Finn McCool, so, you know, yeah. I say next time because it won't be for two weeks. 
we're taking a rare week off from Myths and Legends. There'll still be a fictional episode out next week. The season finale, actually. So if you're looking for something else to listen to, there you go, there's 11 episodes. That's at fictional.fm, or just by searching fictional wherever you get your podcasts. Regardless, happy holidays and happy new year. We'll see you in 2018. I would like to say thank you to Theoz Don't Know, Kate 111222, CV Beach, JMoz472, Love and Light, Mr. Blue 87, Marley Campagna, Blackbird, News Fiend 8, Clarendel, Watt M, Kalex 1091, Psychic 76, Mogalulu, Heart, and Angry Mama 25 for the reviews on Apple Podcasts. Thanks so much for the reviews, for listening, and for taking the time. I really appreciate it. If you'd like to leave a review, Apple Podcasts is the best place, and you can find the show there at apple.mythpodcast.com. There's also a membership thing on the site. For less than the price of earrings made out of deer droppings, these are deer droppings covered in polyurethane and polished to a shine because, sure, you can get extra episodes, source back ebooks, and ad free versions of the show that are probably more normal to put in your ear than polished deer droppings. I don't know, maybe. Check out support.mythpodcast.com for more info on the membership. The first creature this week is Gloso from Switzerland. Gloso is short for Glosau, and she's just a sweet little Christmas pig. She snorts on by each Christmas to wish you a good time, as long as you wish Glosau a Merry Christmas. She has simple tastes, a simple pile of fish heads, and a bowl of porridge set out for her on Christmas Eve. That should be enough. But the holidays are stressful. Maybe you forgot your bucket of fish heads for the Glosau. Maybe you're thinking she won't notice, or maybe you can just get her a gift card to wherever you can get a bucket of fish heads in 2017. That's... That's totally fine. She's definitely cool with it. Just ignore her as she disappears into your house and haunts the darkness underneath the table throughout the 12 nights of Christmas with her eyes burning like twin coals and the bristles on her back sparking. Yeah, if you're okay with an evil darkness pig with glowing red eyes haunting the darkness in your home, then go ahead and forget her gift. Nope. Okay, yeah. It looks like you're headed out on Christmas Eve to get a bucket of fish heads to keep an evil spectral pig from dragging your kid underneath the table. There's another creature from Norway and Denmark that likes a nice bowl of porridge on Christmas Eve. Its name is the Nise. It's a 35-inch tall, red-hatted, and white-bearded gnome with a poisonous bite, or a full-grown man with one cyclops eye and super strength. So, you know, one of those two very similar things. Most depictions are of the gnome, so that's what we're going with. Even the little gnomes are well-known for their super strength. They're so strong that they can easily beat a full-grown human farmhand. For such serious infractions, as swearing sometimes, or urinating in the barn. They also take animal welfare seriously, and if you mistreat your animals, they will mistreat you by mercilessly beating you. They take animal welfare seriously, unless you forgot their Christmas gift too. Like I said, they also like a bit of porridge on Christmas Eve. And by like, I mean they will viciously kill your farm animals to extort porridge out of you on Christmas Eve. And they are super specific about how they like their porridge. If you forget the butter on the top, well, that's okay. It'll only cost you the life of your favorite animal. One story has a well-meaning farmer forgetting whether or not the Nisei liked the butter on the top or the bottom, with him incorrectly putting it on the bottom. The Nisei took one look, went to the barn, and killed a cow in response. Having worked up an appetite from killing the cow, the Nisei returned and ate the porridge, and then found a pad of mostly melted butter on the bottom. He felt so bad about killing the cow that he spent the rest of his Christmas Eve scouring the countryside to find a cow to replace the one he killed. Christmas time doesn't mean the Nisei will take a break from beating people either. 
If you can only porridge out for the Glosau or the Nisei, let your kids know, especially if it's for the Nisei. There's one story of a girl who, on Christmas Eve, saw her parents left out a full bowl of porridge with a nice little pat of butter on top. She grabbed a spoon and ate it all before bed. She ended up surviving, but her parents were greeted with a terrible, terrible Christmas present the next morning. Her nearly lifeless body on the kitchen floor, right next to that empty bowl of porridge. That's it for this week and this year. Our theme song is by the band Broke for Free, and the Creature of the Week music is by Steve Combs. There are links to other music in the show notes. Today's episode was written by me, Jason Weiser, and produced by Carissa Weiser. Thank you so much for listening, and I'll see you next time. <laughs>